Chapter Ten, Part B of the Monastery by Walter Scott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Ten, Part B. It skills not talking of it, brother Nicholas said the abbot, and I will now dismiss you, my brethren, holding your meeting upon this our inquisition concerning the danger of our reverend subprior, instead of the attendance on the lauds this evening. Yet let the bells be duly rung for the edification of the laymen without, and also that the novices may give due reverence. And now, benedicite, brethren, the cellarer will bestow on each a grace-cup and a morsel as ye pass the buttery, for ye have been turmoiled and anxious, and dangerous it is to fall asleep in such case with empty stomach. Gracias, agimus, quam, maximus, domine, reverendissime replied the brethren departing in their due order but the sub-prior remained behind and falling on his knees before the abbot as he was about to withdraw craved him to hear under the seal of confession the adventures of the day the reverend lord abbot yawned and would have alleged fatigue but to father eustace of all men he was ashamed to show indifference in his religious duties the confession therefore proceeded in which father eustace told all of the extraordinary circumstances which had befallen him during the journey and being questioned by the abbot whether he was not conscious of any secret sin through which he might have been subjected for a time to the delusions of evil spirits the sub-prior admitted with frank avowal that he thought he might have deserved such penance for having judged with unfraternal rigour of the report of father philip the sacristan heaven said the penitent may have been willing to convince me not only that he can at pleasure open a communication betwixt us and beings of a different and as we word it supernatural class but also to punish our pride of superior wisdom or superior courage or superior learning it is well said that virtue is its own reward and i question if duty was ever more completely recompensed than by the audience which the reverend abbot so unwillingly yielded to the confession of the sub-prior to find the object of his fear shall we say or his envy or of both accusing himself of the very error with which he had so tacitly charged him was a corroboration of the abbot's judgment a soothing of his pride and an allaying of his fears the sense of triumph however rather increased than diminished his natural good-humour and so far was abbot boniface from being disposed to tyrannize over his sub-prior in consequence of this discovery that in his exhortation he hovered somewhat ludicrously betwixt the natural expression of his own gratified vanity and his timid reluctance to hurt the feelings of father eustace my brother said he ex cathedra it cannot have escaped your judicious observation that we have often declined our own judgment in favour of your opinion even about those matters which most nearly concerned the community. Could you think that we did this, either because we deemed our own opinion less pregnant or our wit more shallow than that of our brethren? Such is your much-esteemed self, my dearest brother, that courage which is necessary to a free deliverance of your opinion. We oft-times setting apart our proper judgment that our inferiors, and especially our dear brother the sub-prior may be comforted and encouraged in proposing valiantly his own thoughts which our deference and humility may in some sort have produced in your mind most reverend brother that self-opinion of parts and knowledge 
which hath led unfortunately to your overestimating your own faculties, and thereby subjecting yourself, as is but too visible, to the japes and mockeries of evil spirits. For it is assured that heaven always holdeth us in the least esteem when we deem of ourselves most highly, and also, on the other hand, it may be that we have somewhat departed from what became our high seat in this abbey, in suffering ourselves to be too much guided, and even, as it were, controlled by the voice of our inferior. Wherefore, continued the Lord Abbot, in both of us such faults shall and must be amended, you hereafter presuming less upon your gifts and carnal wisdom, and I taking heed not so easily to relinquish mine own opinion for that of one lower in place and in office. Nevertheless, we would not that we should thereby lose the high advantage which we have derived, and may yet derive from your wise counsels which hath been so often recommended to us by our most reverend primate. Wherefore, on affairs of high moment, we will call you to our presence in private, and listen to your opinion, which, if it shall agree with our own, we will deliver to the chapter as emanating directly from ourselves, thus sparing you, dearest brother, that seeming victory which is so apt to engender spiritual pride, and avoiding ourselves the temptation of falling into that modest facility of opinion, whereby our office is lessened, and our person, were that of consequence, rendered less important in the eyes of the community over which we preside. Notwithstanding the high notions which, as a rigid Catholic father Eustace entertained of the sacrament of confession, as his church calls it, there was some danger that a sense of the ridiculous might have stolen on him when he heard his superior, with such simple cunning, lay out a little plan for availing himself of the sub-prior's wisdom and experience, while he should take the whole credit to himself. Yet his conscience immediately told him he was right. I should have thought more, he reflected, of the spiritual superior, and less of the individual. I should have spread my mantle over the frailties of my spiritual father, and done what I might to support his character, and of course to extend his utility among the brethren, as well as with others. The abbot cannot be humbled, but what the community must be humbled in his person. Her boast is, that over all her children, especially over those called to places of distinction, she can diffuse those gifts which are necessary to render them illustrious. Actuated by these sentiments, Father Eustace frankly assented to the charge which his superior, even in that moment of authority, had rather intimated than made, and signified his humble acquiescence in any mode of communicating his counsel which might be most agreeable to the Lord Abbot and might best remove from himself all temptation to glory in his own wisdom. He then prayed the reverend father to assign him such penance as might best suit his offence, intimating, at the same time, that he had already fasted the whole day. "'And it is that I complain of,' answered the abbot, instead of giving him credit for his abstinence. "'It is these very penances, fasts, and vigils of which we complain, as tending only to generate airs and fumes of vanity, which, ascending from the stomach into the head, do but puff us up with vainglory and self-opinion. It is meet and beseeming that novices should undergo fasts and vigils, for some part of every community must fast, and young stomachs may best endure it. Besides, in them it abates wicked thoughts, and the desire of worldly delights. But, reverend brother, for those to fast who are dead and mortified to the world as I and thou, is work of supererogation 
and is but the matter of spiritual pride. Wherefore I enjoin thee, most reverend brother, go to the buttery, and drink two cups at least of good wine, eating withal a comfortable morsel, such as may best suit thy taste and stomach, and in respect that thine opinion of thy own wisdom hath at times made thee less conformable to, and companionable with, the weaker and less learned brethren, I enjoin thee during the said repast to choose for thy companion our reverend brother Nicholas, and without interruption or impatience, to listen for a stricken hour to his narration, concerning those things which befell in the times of our venerable predecessor, Abbot Ingelrim, on whose soul may heaven have mercy, and for such holy exercises as may farther advantage your soul, and expiate the faults whereof you have contritely and humbly avowed yourself guilty, we will ponder upon that matter, and announce our will unto you the next morning. It was remarkable that after this memorable evening the feelings of the worthy abbot towards his adviser were much more kindly and friendly than when he deemed the sub-prior the impeccable and infallible person, in whose garment of virtue and wisdom no flaw was to be discerned. It seemed as if this avowal of his own imperfections had recommended Father Eustace to the friendship of the superior, although at the same time this increase of benevolence was attended with some circumstances which to a man of the sub-prior's natural elevation of mind and temper were more grievous than even undergoing the legends of the dull and verbose Father Nicholas. For instance, the abbot seldom mentioned him to the other monks, without designing him our beloved brother Eustace, poor man, and now and then he used to warn the younger brethren against the snares of vainglory and spiritual pride, which Satan sets for the more rigidly righteous with such looks and demonstrations as did all but expressly designate the sub-prior as one who had fallen at one time under such delusions. Upon these occasions it required all the votive obedience of a monk, all the philosophical discipline of the schools, and all the patience of a Christian, to enable Father Eustace to endure the pompous and patronizing parade of his honest but somewhat thick-headed superior. He began himself to be desirous of leaving the monastery or at least he manifestly declined to interfere with its affairs, in that marked and authoritative manner which he had at first practised. End of chapter 10, part b.